Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Uh, so if you will, stand with me. And let's read together uh, the word of the Lord in John chapter 12 verses 1 through 11. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord says to us, Jesus, therefore six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the public reading of Scripture. We thank you for the Word of God, which pierces our heart, even to the dividing of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. God, we thank you so much for your presence that's here today. And Lord, I pray that you would accomplish the work which you intend to do and help us to be obedient vessels to share and hear your word. God, in addition to praying for our time together this morning, I lift up to you, uh, Brother Noel, Lord, just a humble, faithful, blessed, a servant of yours, God, who is in South America, seeking to share the message of hope and to train and develop some leaders who are in the churches there. I pray, God, that you would give him a good trip and that he would return rejoicing in the good things which you have done. I pray, Lord Jesus, for Sister Autumn, Sister Terry, who are part of the IWN team who are in Nashville today. God, I pray that they would return rejoicing over the good things which you have done, over your mercy and over your grace and kindness. And God, I pray... For each one of us who have come today with heavy burdens or a heavy heart, something on our mind, something impacting us in our body. But Lord, we wanted to be in your house today and we wanted to sense your presence and be with your people. And so I pray today, God, that you would bless this time together, that we wouldn't take it for granted, and that we would rejoice together in the good things which you are doing will do. So we thank you for this today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. 
Last night, uh, Brother Jay brought the word of the Lord to us at uh, East High, and he spoke about boldness in sharing our faith, boldness in witnessing uh, for the gospel. I believe that uh, message is uh, archived, at least on Facebook and maybe on our website later this week. But um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it as he was preaching. I didn't know what he was preaching on last night, uh, but uh, I believe it really uh, is is the Lord's grace that uh, allows us to see certain things kind of integrate very, very well together. And so last night's message, I believe, bookends with uh, today's message as well. Uh, I didn't title it this, but I could have titled it Boldness and Worship. Uh, but uh, but in, in essence, boldness in our witness and boldness in worship are two very important aspects of uh, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What I have entitled this message uh, today is Joy of the Empty Tomb, A Plan in the Perfume. A Plan in the Perfume. Now, as most of us here have been trained in kind of Western thinking. We think of things in a chronological order, the way events happen, kind of this event happened, and then next this happened, and then next this happened. And it's not really so with uh, Jewish thinking or Eastern thinking, uh, particularly in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Oftentimes what we see is they are writing or sharing the story in a way that it is thematically uh, written. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all retell this particular story. So in the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had particular things they were trying to emphasize to us. So Certain stories in Jesus' life were more important to one writer maybe than another writer in terms of including it in his particular gospel. Just like you and I, if there were four of us who were sitting together and retelling the story of maybe events of the past week or events of someone's life who we all foreknew, we probably would all emphasize different stories or different parts of their life according to what we uh, were talking about or what we were thinking about. This particular story of Mary of Bethany is one that is important in one way or another to all of the writers of the gospel account of Jesus. This uh, Mary of Bethany in chapter 12 does seem to be different from Mary Magdalene. And there's some speculation theologically that they're the same person, but uh, we don't know for certain if they were or not. It kind of seems like they were two different people. And so what we find with Mary of Bethany is that she is the sister of Lazarus, a sister of Martha. Lazarus, as we read a few weeks ago, had died, was put in the tomb, was there for uh, four days. Jesus knows that, one, when he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead, when he goes back towards Jerusalem, that he's essentially signing his death warrant that going back, he already knows they want to kill him. He knows they want to put him to death. As we read in this passage, we see they also want to put Lazarus to death because he's the evidence of what Jesus has done. So the religious leaders just want to kill everybody. So, you know, be careful of religious leaders like that, okay? Uh, And so we see that they're just trying to kind of wipe the slate of everybody, everything, every instance that could point anybody uh, to Jesus. And so Jesus goes near 
uh, Jerusalem to Bethany. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and it ought not be lost on us that Jesus, again, knowing why he was going, knowing what was going to transpire because he went to Jerusalem, that he was willing to risk his life for his friend. Willing to go, willing to risk his life for his friend, and he would lose his life in essence, because Lazarus was raised from the dead, but also his life for you and I also. And as he told his disciples, he says, I call you my friend. Call you my friend. John 12 most likely takes place on the Saturday before the crucifixion. So crucifixion is coming very rapidly at us in John's retelling of it. As I mentioned before, it's a transitional chapter in John's writing. Chapters 1 through 11 cover about a three-year period, while 12 through 20 cover a little less than a week. So you see that when John is uh, taking about eight or nine chapters to cover essentially one major week in the life of Jesus, he sees this as very, very important and wants us to know exactly what is happening and what was going on during this particular time period. And so this story of Mary and anointing the feet of Jesus is important for us on two fronts. One, that Jesus' body is actually anointed for death. And the second is that Mary is so captured by the glory of Jesus that she is willing to sacrificially and extravagantly worship him. Mary is willing to sacrificially and extravagantly worship him. And as I read through this story and in other stories and I hear testimonies of saints who have gone on, what I see both in biblical history and in human history is that there is a realm where you and I live where in the heart is truly captured by the glory of Jesus. And when our heart is captured, truly captured by the glory of Jesus, our priorities shift in a very radical manner. What this means is that both in the operation of our lives and in the extravagance of our worship. You're going to hear me use that term over and over today, extravagance, extravagance of our worship. There is a quantitative and a qualitative difference when our hearts have been captured by the Lord. The capturing of our affections transforms everything. Pastorally, there are a couple of concerns for many who profess Christ today that after a profession of faith, that lives really aren't changed. There's a profession of faith, but then there's not really this transformation. People just simply give this kind of mental assent that, yes, intellectually it seems right to believe in Jesus. This seems like a reasonable thing, and I can generally agree with it above other explanations for life and death, so I'll call myself a Christian because mentally this seems like it's more logical than the other options which are on the table. But I believe that salvation has to be more than simply a mental ascent. And I think we see it in Scripture in Acts 
Two, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit and it moved people from kind of this reasonable mental ascent to a real capturing of the heart that people were willing to kind of at that point give everything where just a few days before they were scared, they were kind of timid, they didn't know what was going to happen and then the Holy Spirit impacts them and there's this radical transformation that we don't care what the religious leaders say, we can't stop talking about this. A change from simply knowing that Jesus is the Messiah to the hearts being captured by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're willing to give everything we have to this Jesus. And I would share with you today that salvation truly is primarily a capturing of the heart and a changing of the affections more than just a mental agreement with theological principles. That's why I cringe a bit when I hear the sinner's prayer. It's not because it's bad or wrong and it has its place maybe as a guide to help someone who's never prayed before, but you can give someone this false sense of, yes, I, I agree with that. And the heart hasn't truly been captured by the Holy Spirit. The older saints in days gone by would talk about a term and they would use that use a term called getting the victory brother or sister did you get the victory and what that essentially meant was have you prayed through and got the victory has your heart been captured by the lord has there been this transformation of affections on the things of earth to the things of god a knowledge that God is real and His Word is real, but also this urgent, exhaustive, lingering prayer that moves us from a knowledge of the head to a knowledge through the heart. That brings us to the story in John chapter 12, which is really a tale of two hearts, Mary and Judas. Both had been regularly with Jesus both had seen the miracles, both had heard his teaching, but only one heart was truly captured. Mary's response to Jesus was scandalously extravagant worship. And Judas's response could easily, could easily be classified as a reasonable ministry desire. Mary's response was scandalously extravagant worship. Judas's response could easily be classified as a reasonable ministry desire. So let's look at these two areas and see how the Lord encountered these two people. First, Mary's extravagant, scandalous worship. There may be others where there's some ambiguity, but there's certainly in John three instances where we meet Mary of Bethany. John chapter 10 and verse 38, Mary is at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching while her sister Martha is serving. Martha kind of gets upset that Mary's there at the feet and she goes to the Lord, you know, hey, light a fire under my sister. She's got some work here in the kitchen to do. And Jesus tells Martha, hey, Mary's chosen the better thing. 
In John chapter 11, verse 31 and following, when Mary goes to Jesus, we find her again at his feet when she's talking to him about the death of her brother Lazarus. And then we see Mary again here in chapter 12 at the feet of Jesus, anointing him for his death. All three times at his feet, and a tear that that extravagant, scandalous measure of worship happened. We tend to like Mary for her devotion, but most of us, myself included, do not find ourselves emulating Mary in her worship. Mary had a very expensive perfume called spikenard. Spikenard or pure nard was a very aromatic perfume that was harvested in the Himalayan mountains of India. Uh, in terms of the qualities that were seen in it, if it would be like an expensive essential oil today, though not on the level of expense that you and I would spend on an essential oil. It was valued for its longevity on the skin. It would linger and linger, and it had medicinal properties that would have been important. And this oil would have been sealed in an alabaster box or a jar on the low end in today's dollars because John tells us in Judas's estimation that it would have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii would have been the annual wages for a day labor. So in our dollars would have been a perfume that would have been worth some thirty to $40,000 or more. Imagine that kind of expense. Many believe that this actually would have been Mary's, or part of Mary's dowry, something her parents would have given her for the day of her marriage. It would have probably been the most costly thing that she owned. And her act of using it on Jesus would have also been the most costly thing that she could have done. Because the cost to Mary is not simply in dollars. That cost of using that costly perfume is also bound up in her future. Mary would, would have been expected to give this very expensive gift to her husband. For a woman in this society, a husband was very important. It was not the type of context that you and I live in today where there is freedom for a woman to go off and create a career or go to college and get a job that she can uh, earn resources for herself and kind of take care of herself. That wouldn't have been so in this culture. And so you have young ladies whose parents may have blessed them with something expensive. And when a young man kind of comes along, we think of in our culture, often we think of love in terms of kind of this feeling. In that culture, love was really a commitment to something, uh, to a person. And when someone came along and you had Lady One who has thirty dollars to $40,000 worth of perfume that you could sell and could be a resource in a marriage, and you have Lady Number Two who doesn't bring much at all to the wedding, the young suitor is more likely to choose number one, thus providing for the future of that woman, caring for her, giving her a future. So when Mary takes this and uses it on the Lord, she's actually saying that there's other things that aren't as important 
She gives everything. She holds nothing back. Let's think about what's going on in that room for a moment. The noise of people kind of talking around the supper table. There would have been a low table. There would have been a reclining around it on pillows, maybe the, the clanging of some pottery dishes going on, maybe some noise outside the window, and then all of a sudden, like we would do in a restaurant, something breaks, and it goes quiet. Mary breaks the alabaster. People look in the direction of the noise. Mary already has it beginning to pour out on the feet of Jesus. And as people realize what is happening, the fragrance, which is just so powerful, begins to fill the room. And people realize that this is not some local perfume that she just bought from a street vendor on the road, that this is something much more expensive, much more valuable. And the quantity and the value of the perfume, and Mary is not using it sparingly, but lavishly using her own hair to rag it and wipe it on Jesus' feet. From this side of that event, looking back at it, it's hard for me to imagine the scene in my mind. It's hard for me to think about what was transpiring, to actually put myself at the table and kind of watch what's going on. I kind of actually kind of cringe about it a little bit. It's kind of too close, too intimate, too personal. This entire scenario does not fit into our understanding of Jesus. It's, it's just it's too, it's too close for us. Mary touching his feet, Mary using her hair in a very personable way. Kind of messes with our mind. And yet when it's questioned, Jesus says, let her alone. In other words, she's doing the right thing. She's moved by the right motives. And she is also prophetically doing what needs to be done. Looking at this particular story, I think we can come away and understand that scandalously extravagant worship is highly honored by the Lord. Mary's scandalously extravagant worship to her was unknowingly prophetic. She was anointing Jesus' body for burial. And our extravagant worship is also prophetic for our future glory in Christ. Mary's scandalously extravagant worship changes the atmosphere in the room. The odor fills the room. Everyone is aware of what is going on. It cannot be a secret. It will not be a secret that Mary is there worshiping the Lord. Some might scorningly say, well, Mary's just simply drawing attention to herself, and we have to be careful about that attitude when someone is in the mode of just worshiping the Lord out of the abundance of their heart.
Mary and her love for the Lord. She is eager to please him because it wasn't just a mental assent for her. It wasn't just something that was intellectually up here. It was something that was in here that transformed the way that she worshiped. We contrast that and compare that to Judas. When we look at Judas in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray the Lord, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Well, John gives us an explanation of that, but I thought it would be important for us simply to think about that statement for a moment. Let's call together uh, what we call around here our church family gathering. Uh, last year, we did a church family gathering. And in that church family gathering, we talked about the finances and we talked about the direction of the church and we talked about you know, where we were uh, heading. And so if you and I were to call together and to bring our church family gathering today and in our church ecclesiastical system, we were to come together and I was uh, to begin to tell you uh, about an event that has recently happened in our church, and we're going to take a vote on what to do in this particular uh, event. That someone has uh, given the church $40,000 for us to use in whatever way that we would like to use it. Now, think about what we would think about. Wow. That's just an awesome opportunity for down at East High. How much food could we buy to give away? <laughs> How much could we buy? How many hams could we bless people in Charlottesville with? You know, there are poor people everywhere. And if we show them how much we care, let's take this, let's, uh, let's use it for the good of our community. And how many of us would vote and say, yes, amen? That would be my natural inclination. First off the bat, yes, let's take it and let's use it for a ministry purpose. And if we read Judas's understanding of what he's trying to say, hey, let's, let's not waste this perfume on Jesus. Let's not waste it on the Lord. Let's use it to help bless people who are in need. Oh, that's reasonable. That's the right thing to do. That's what we ought to be doing with what has come in. We need to bless people with it. A reasonable ministry desire. But John lets us in on the little secret. He says, Judas didn't do this because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. You see, there is also this kind of theological understanding of Judas, that Judas really wasn't a bad guy. Judas just was a misguided guy. And when Judas went to the priest and he sold out Jesus, he was simply doing it, some theologians say, to sort of push the envelope and make Jesus do what Judas thought the Messiah ought to do. So Judas was just kind of a misguided guy. And John throws that out the window. He says, this guy is a thief and he used to steal from the church. Looking at four and five, we think it's 
easy for us to kind of agree with Judas in some ways and say, man, what a waste. A pound. This expensive perfume being used for a one-time limited experience. So much good could have otherwise been accomplished with the money that could have been made from selling this. What an amazing opportunity to use this expensive item that would bring in lots of money to help other people. Surely this is what Jesus would want. Yes, Jesus wants us to care about people and he wants us to help others. What Mary saw as worship, Judas saw as waste. He wanted to enrich himself, not helping others and certainly not helping the Lord. He's the betrayer. He was clearly a thief who betrayed the Lord because he saw an opportunity to enrich himself. But I would say to us today, and one of the things I've thought about as I've studied this story and thought about this story and prayed about this particular story is that very reasonable conclusions can be very costly to the kingdom. Had Judas had his way, Jesus would not have been honored by worship nor prophetically anointed for burial. Yet Mary's emotion before the crowd and her worship before the Lord accomplished both anointing his body and worship, extravagant worship at the same time. Jesus sees financial resources differently than the way we often see financial resources. In fact, when we read through the scriptures, we see that Jesus isn't worried about clothes or houses, but he's very concerned about worship. He tells us, don't worry about your needs. Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your clothes. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't live from the head. Be moved by the heart. Don't live from what is necessarily reasonable and natural. God's given us wisdom. God's given us a brain to think. Yes, I agree with all of that. But if the mind is not motivated through an encounter with the Lord through the heart or can simply be tempted to do the next most reasonable thing. Worshiping the Lord has always been seen as an extravagant, elaborate, no expenses, barred, lavish, exhausting, physically, emotionally, and spiritually human task. I realize, you know, I, I mean, let, you know, just let's, let's, let's get to where kind of, you know, the rub, what they say, the rubber meets the road. Let's get to where the rubber meets the road here. And I, I could say I'm a little self-conscious at times. I think through things with my head versus my heart sometimes. And I think over here, what, what am I going to be doing in the glory of heaven? What am I going to be doing at the moment when with my eyes I see the Lord? There was an old song that said, when I get to heaven, I just want to go to Jesus and shake his hand. I don't think I'll be shaking his hand. I don't think I'm going to reach out and ask the Lord to kind of shake his hand. I don't think that's what I'm going to be doing. 
I think what I read about in the book of Revelation is something much more powerful, much much more exhaustive. It's more akin to what Mary was doing in John chapter 12, sort of giving everything, pouring everything out, laying everything at his feet, saying, I don't care what the future holds. What I care is in this moment, Jesus, that you know how much I love you, know how much I care for you, know how much I want to worship you, know how much I recognize you as the Messiah. And I think, God, help me to get there. Help me to get to that place, Lord, where all the material things and all those other things, you see, we make it so nice and easy and we talk about things. Well, yeah, I know that in Acts they were kind of giving everything, but God doesn't really mean that. He just means like if he asks you to give everything, then give everything. You don't really have to give everything. We try to explain these things away. But when Jesus looks at Mary and he says, leave her alone. She's doing the right thing. She's doing the proper thing. She's doing what she ought to be doing. I affirm what she's doing. I don't affirm what you're doing, Judas. And I want to be at that place. I want to be at that moment where my heart is fully captured by the glory of Jesus and I realize fully what it means to be forgiven by him and to be welcomed into his family. I don't want to live in a place where I simply give mental assent. Yes, this is reasonable. Academically, yes, it seems like I look outside and I see, how did all this diversity happen? It didn't happen through evolution. That is clearly impossible. It couldn't have all came from the primordial soup. Something had to intervene. Something had to happen. I look outside and I see the diversity. Mm, Yes, there must be a God. I think there must be a God. Yes, I think there must be a God. It seems reasonable that there would be a God out there. Yes, I certainly do believe that all this diversity couldn't have happened by itself, even with millions and billions of years. And if you believe that, if you believe that, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you are wrong. Uh, It did not come. It came through God. But then I take the next step, and I think out of all the world systems that believe there is a God that I could uh, attribute my mind to and think about and think through, yes, this idea of God creating the heavens and the earth and coming in the flesh and the person of Jesus Christ, that kind of makes more sense than uh, some of these other religious systems that I could think about or agree. Plus, that's the one that my family embraces. It'll make it easier at Thanksgiving and Christmas if I just dealt with it and uh, I, I did what they did. I can mentally agree to Christianity. And that's where I can sit on the sideline and I can say, yes, I believe in Jesus and that's good for me, but you know, you can believe in who you want to believe in too. I don't feel as the brother talked about last night, any kind of unction to really pull you in because my heart has not been captured. My heart truly hasn't been transformed because I've done A plus B equals C. It makes sense. Well, it makes sense to sell 40 grand of perfume and give it to the poor. That's what makes sense. That's what makes sense to my head. What doesn't make sense is a woman breaking an alabaster jar at the foot of the Lord and letting down her hair and wiping his feet with it. That doesn't make sense to me.
But you know what happened? When all that was finished, when the dinner was done, and the door was opened and people began to walk out, do you know where the aroma of worship went? It went with Mary and Jesus. When they walked through, when they walked out in the street, that perfume didn't stop smelling. It wasn't the cheap junk that we buy today that you put it on and you smell it for five minutes and then it's gone. In fact, it would be reasonable to expect that when Jesus was astride on the donkey and he was coming in in the triumphal entry, that the smell of worship that Mary had put on his feet was still there as he was entering into Jerusalem, that the people who were closest to him could still smell what Mary had done before. Extravagant worship, scandalously extravagant worship. Whatever anointing or ability or understanding or concept that you have in your mind of what God has called you to do or what God has put in your hands or what your opportunity in life is in, it is all expressly for the purpose of worshiping Jesus. Those who truly had a heart for the Lord, we don't see them giving halfway. And I'm not, hear, hear me when I'm talking through this. I'm not preaching at you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm encouraging us. Us together. Because I sit there and I think about my own acts of worship my own heart, my own brain, and how the two are connecting in Jesus because I want to be like Mary was. I want to give it all. I want to offer it all. I don't want to hold it back. I don't even want to want to hold it back. I want to genuinely and earnestly give it all to him and know that he will take care of tomorrow. Stand with me. This morning, This is a type of church that I pray Riverstone is. That we are comfortable. Maybe that's not the right word. That we appreciate scandalously extravagant worship. Another instance in Scripture where someone was extravagantly worshiping the Lord was when David was bringing uh, the, the ark back in uh, to uh, Jerusalem. And the Bible says that David danced before the Lord with all his mind. Whose mind? His mind. It didn't say that there was some Holy Ghost move at that moment. It said, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and there his wife stood up, and she despised him in her heart because of what he was doing before the Lord. And David says, you, you haven't said nothing yet. 
You've not, you've not seen anything yet. I'll be more undignified than this. Because David understood what it meant to have that kind of relationship with Jesus where the heart was captured, where the affections were set fully upon him. And so I pray that's the type of church that we are, that we become, that we're walking in this way. We are not where we want to be, but we have a clear direction of where we want to go to where everyone who walks in this place is willing to lay it all at the feet of Jesus, no matter what anyone else may say or think or do, or any, be bold in our worship just as much as being bold in our witness. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would help us, God, that you would help us to understand what it means to extravagantly worship you, Lord God. I pray you would help me to understand and to know what it means, Lord Jesus, to extravagantly worship you, God. I want to get to that place in my life, Lord, where I'm willing to lay it all down before you, not concerned about tomorrow, but knowing, Lord Jesus, that you will take care of all of those things, clothes and houses, food, all those things that are necessary you will take care if I simply worship at your feet. Leave it at all at your feet, Lord. Leave it at all right there, everything. Maybe I don't, I won't understand it. Oh, how it plays out. What did Mary think? When she saw you at the table, and her heart was moved and she went and got the box and she broke it and she starts to lavish the perfume on your feet and wipe it with her hair worshiping you not concerned about what the others around the table are thinking not concerned about what's going on but just pouring it out before you Lord in that moment it may have seemed like everyone else in the room was gone. It was just you and her in a beautiful, pure, special moment. She had given everything to you. What were her thoughts when she saw you later hanging on the cross? taking your last breath. She didn't understand everything that was going to happen after that. She was most likely one of the ladies who had gone back on that third day with more spices and more perfume. They, they, they still thought you were dead in the tomb. She didn't know at that moment when you were on the cross. Surely her mind must have wondered what's going on, what, what, what's happening here. But it doesn't seem like her love or devotion was diminished one bit because she was there on the third day. We may not fully understand, oh Lord, why you call us 
to lavishly, scandalously, extravagantly worship you in the way in which you call us to do. It may seem very unreasonable. It may seem shocking. But I pray, Lord, that you would help me, help us as a church to be a place, God, where we just pour it out before you in worship in honor to you, O oh Lord, without regard of other people. God, when you call us to just lavish our worship on you. God, I pray you will help us to not be content with what is reasonable. us, Lord. Seated on the throne. God, what will we be doing in this moment if you return right now? Right now, what will we be doing in the next moment? What would our posture be? What would our voices be saying? What would our minds be processing if in the next moment, the next moment, Could you just take a few moments together as a congregation? Let's speak to him and worship him and tell him how worthy he is. Oh Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy, oh Lord, you are worthy. Are worthy, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are worthy.
Jesus, we thank you. <clears throat> God, please teach us and help us. God, it's easy to read through these stories and not, not put ourselves in that room and see what's going on, what will be going through our mind, oh Lord. God, I want to have that, that type of, of worship.
a type of overflowing worship that is powerful, that is prophetic. God, these moments when we come before you, I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to set aside the thought of others, what what others may think, what others may say or do, oh Lord, and just focus our attention and focus our minds towards you, Lord Jesus. Keep our eyes upon you, the author, the finisher of our faith, oh Lord, to, to turn our eyes towards you, that these things in this life would grow very dim, Lord, that they'd, they'd kind of be put to the side for just a few moments, Lord, and out of, out of that abundance of the heart, the affections that we have, that we would worship you, Lord, both in spirit and in truth, we would find out what it means, oh God, for your power and your might to touch earth, oh Lord, and, and out of our bellies to flow that living water and worship to you, Lord Jesus. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God. Be extravagant in our worship, Lord Jesus. To learn what that means. Help us, Jesus. By the power of your Spirit today, help us, O Lord. We thank you. Thank you for your presence. Everyone in that room recognized that Jesus was in the room. But there was only one Only one in the room with the Messiah who gave it all. (laughs) But what she offered to him, when she walked out of the room, the aroma was on her too. us. God, help us. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. You are worthy of all glory and honor and all praise today. We thank you, God, for your mercy and love. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his goodness. Praise the Lord for his goodness. I'm going to pray tonight. Yes. We're going to pray tonight at 6 p.m. right here. I hope you'll join us. If you're not able to join us, pray that God would help us. Pray that God will help us as a congregation. 
But as fire would burn in our heart, the affections of our heart would be fully placed upon him. And so God, I just pray for your grace and peace to rest upon this people today. You bless them and keep them. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would lift up your countenance towards them. Give them peace today, oh God. We thank you for your presence and goodness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you.